This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 177. I was able to buy this thing with nothing down. I rent out two of the rooms to my buddies, and I'm essentially at that point living rent free in a brand new house that I own. And, you know, at that point, I was completely hooked on real estate. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, man? Uh, so I got to tell you, I just had the greatest banana bread of my entire life. You ever oh. eat banana bread? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I just shout out to my wife here who is nine and three quarters months pregnant. And I text her earlier and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, making banana bread. And uh, I'm pretty excited. So it was, it was the best banana bread I ever had. How you doing? I'm good. I, I don't <laughs> Not know as good why as me. you're forcing your wife to make banana <laughs> bread when she's like a week from delivering a child. I but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's what you do. I, that's, I uh, that's what I do is I, I make her stay so, in the kitchen so, and cook sorry, Heather. banana um, bread. <laughs> But but the next time you make some, you better send me some. <laughs> yeah, she listens to every, pretty much every show now, so that's her. Uh, now she nice. now she knows she'll send you some banana bread. That would be amazing. That would make my entire hour. <laughs> well, you know what would make my entire hour? What's that? Getting on with the interview. <laughs> oh, okay. Then. Wow. I'm I'm in a feisty mood today. Come on. Apparently, apparently, apparently. yeah. Somebody yeah. told me on YouTube the other day. They said that I was mean to you. No, oh, you're so, always mean to me. I don't think so. You're always mean to me. No. Somebody said that guy. That guy at and he put like the time is really mean to the other guy. And I was like, I thought he was talking about you, but I went there and he was clearly talking about me. <laughs> and I was like, well, so whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Abusive partner, Josh. I love you, yes. man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You got to have the word man in there, although it gets and, a lot. And and then and then I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And then move on. Yes. Oh, oh, do you want me to say something? No, back? I don't want I'm, you to I'm say sorry. nothing. Like this I'm is awkward enough. Good because I wasn't going good. to. Now everybody right, listening is move, really awkward move, right now. Let's move on to the show then. <laughs> so we got a cool show today. Definitely uh, a topic that we haven't dug in too much on today. We we talk about the Burr strategy by uh, rent. Refinance, rehab, rehab refinance, rehab, refinance, and repeat. Yeah, it's confusing. Those R's get confusing sometimes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a cool show. And you know what I like best about today's show is that you know this guy got into real estate, got excited, did his first deal, and then struggled for the next bunch of years. Really, yeah. you know, it was what was like a what a five year period I think or so where he was trying to trying to do those next deals, and and they just weren't happening for one reason or another. Ultimately, you know, he's now got dozens and dozens of rentals and kind of figured it out. But it obviously wasn't fun experiencing it for him, but it's fun in retrospect looking back and saying, oh, you know what? Yeah, I went through all these struggles. I experienced all this stuff and, you know, it's just part of the process. Yep. Very true. Yeah. I, 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 he's very, very real. I think you guys will like that a lot. Like very open and honest and uh, it's pretty yeah. awesome. So anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. All right. Today's quick tip is something we're very, very excited to tell you guys about, and that is we have a brand new calculator on BiggerPockets. It is called the Burr Calculator. In other words, we have the rental calculator and we have the flip calculator, which people use all the time, and now we... And the wholesale calculator, but now we have the Burr calculator because so many people are doing this concept of buying fixer upper rental properties, and there wasn't a real good way to use. I mean, I don't know any calculator on earth, any program, software, whatever that does what this thing does. So I'm pretty excited about it. You can check it out at biggerpockets.com forward slash 
I think Kelk is probably the easiest way to get there. Biggerpockets.com slash Kelk. And you'll see all the calculators there, including the Burr calculator. And of course, you have to be a pro member to get unlimited use, but everybody can go test it out. I think it's five times. Play with it and check it out. So Biggerpockets.com slash Kelk. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, guys. So this is show 177 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And you can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 177. Let's get to it. Today's guest, Ben Walhood. Ben is a real estate investor who's actually traveled all about the country. And as we had talked about, is really been focused on the Burr strategy. But he's, he's also doing a few other things, doing some flipping and things like that. But today we really dig in on this Burr. So let's bring him in. Let's get it going. All right, Ben, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this should be fun. Uh, so let's jump right into it. What, what's your story? Where'd you come from before real estate and how'd you get into your first deal? Sure. So I took the really linear path. I got a degree in biomedical engineering and <laughs> nice. sold brain surgery equipment for seven years wow. and, and then became a full-time investor. So, you know, the natural path. Exactly. Uh, That's what I did too. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, no, so I bought my first house while I was a full-time college student making eight grand a year driving bus for the university. But this was in the heyday of no-doc loans. So this was 2005, and they basically checked to make sure I had a pulse and then gave me $150,000. 
Nice. I remember those days. Those are good old really days. Which is really funny. <laughs> you know, we've never talked about this, but no doc loans worked for everybody except small business people. Oh, really? Who actually had to go through, you know, a doctor's hand up there, you know what, in order <laughs> to get a loan. It was not as easy for those of us, a, a, a lot of folks. So it's aggravating. Weird. Yeah, I have no resentment towards anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got my first, my very first property in 07 was a no doc loan. And yeah. uh, they're just like, oh, what? You make minimum wage? You got no credit? Here, how about uh, 250000 they approved me That's for? That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. All right. Yeah. And, and then unbeknownst to me, I actually turned it into a nothing down deal. I mean, in nice. retrospect, I I don't know. It was either really good or really stupid. I'm not really sure. <laughs> like, you know, I, I borrowed the 5% down and paid it back like on a 24-hour loan from my parents Paid them back the day after closing with a closing credit, and I, I probably shouldn't even talk about that on, you know, <laughs> online. But uh, you know, so it was basically accidental. I didn't know what I was doing. I ended up with a with a house with nothing into it. So why did you buy a house in college? I mean, most of the people wait until after college. Great question. Yeah. So like a lot of probably your listeners and other real estate investors, you know, read Rich Dad Poor Dad around 2002, got into that passive income mindset, you know, wanted to buy real estate. So I actually started in 2002 trying to get my first loan. And as opposed to 05, 06, 07, it was actually pretty difficult. Well, it should have been difficult, right, for a college student with no income. (laughs) And so I I knocked on a lot of doors, called a lot of lenders, and I, I just hated the idea of throwing money away on rent every month. So I finally got to, well, I I didn't get anywhere. The market kind of caught up with what I wanted with the no-doc loan. And I was able to buy this thing with nothing down. I rent out two of the rooms to my buddies. And I'm essentially, at that point, living rent-free in a brand new house that I own. And, you know, at that point, I was completely hooked on real estate. That's awesome. House hacking. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, before there was a name for it. I know. <laughs> well, you know, we, we had to come up with it at some point. <laughs> okay, so you bought this first deal. This is back in 05, 06, so the market's crazy good. What happened next? How, did, you, did you go right into a second deal or did you wait a while? No, well, I, I tried. So I graduated in 06 and didn't get a job right away, so I kind of hung around. Uh, this was in Iowa City, so hung around for, uh, for a little bit, got a job in St. Louis, moved down there and tried to learn that market. And once I started getting comfortable down there and looking for houses to buy, I found out really quickly that buying a rehab house through a conventional lender is almost impossible. Um, and that's what I was trying to do, right? Buy something I could fix up and maybe, maybe house hack with a little more sweat equity. And uh, I tried that on two, three, four different deals and they all just crumbled. You know, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know what a hard money loan even was at the time. So tried to use the wrong product for the wrong deal and it didn't work out. Then I ended up getting a promotion moving out to New Jersey of all places and had a really similar experience out there. We had multiple deals that went under contract and just couldn't close for one reason or another. This would have been, well, this was 2008, 2009. So the biggest issue at that point is nothing would appraise. You know, all the appraisers were just scared little bunnies. They didn't want to put their name on the line for a house that might lose value. And so I had deal after deal that went under contract. It was a good deal. I could, you know, I could do a little work to it and rent it out and it'd be a great deal for me. But, you know, the appraisers would come in five grand low just to protect themselves. And then the whole deal falls apart. So went through that. And then finally we moved to Chicago, learned this market. And then about 2010 started uh, more aggressively building kind of planting roots and and, you know, learning new techniques, figuring out what a private loan was, figuring out what a hard money loan was. Um, and then we just started growing from there. So if, if, I, if I've got the story right, O2, you got into it, you're excited about it. You, you got your first, you did this house hack in 05, 06, and it wasn't again until 2010 or so 
that you actually ended up doing your next deal. Is that about right? You got it. So, you know, for, for those people listening, you know, this is, you know, this is how it may go. I mean, you know, there's, there's those who, who knock it out immediately and, and then there's those who keep trying. And, you know, I'm assuming we're going to hear obviously more about the story that, you know, since then things have, have, uh, sped up a little bit. So that's awesome. And I love hearing that you've, you know, you, you kept going, kept trying and, you know, kept making mistakes. And, and then all of a sudden you hit it. Right. And, and so what, what happened? You're in Chicago. Let's talk about that first deal since after the first deal. So your second sure. deal. Yeah. And the second deal, I mean, it was one of the worst deals I've ever done. It went horribly wrong. I learned almost every lesson as a landlord that you can learn. And uh, so what I bought was a two flat in uh, in one of the near western suburbs of Chicago. Not a particularly nice area. It's not south side for those that are familiar. You know, there's some pretty rough neighborhoods there. So it wasn't a war zone, but definitely lower class. Bought it for 19000 bucks. put about 30 into it, and eventually rented it to Section 8 for $1,100 a unit. So on paper, that sounds like an awesome deal, right? 50,000 bucks into it, renting 2,200 a month. That's a 4% uh, deal. Yeah, it's a, that's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Exactly. But, you know, that also taught me the downside to those deals, right? I mean, these tenants, I, I was getting middle of the night phone calls to change light bulbs and unclog toilets. Mm. I was getting calls from, I, I got a call from the fire department saying, hey, they were about to put me in jail because I let my tenant use a gas stove that wasn't functional and it was going to blow up the house. <laughs> and they said, oh, oh uh, you know, Mr. Fire Marshal, did, uh, did the tenant bother to tell you that we found out this problem yesterday and I told the tenant not to use it until a new one gets installed tomorrow? <laughs> well, no, of course, she, she happened to leave that out of the story. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it's just this caliber of tenant that you're dealing with that, that expects, expects the world night and day. And, you know, I pretty quickly figured out that I just don't have the temperament for that regardless of how good the cash flow is. Well, there's such a good lesson there too that, you know, people oftentimes want to look at these like rules of thumb. Like if the deal is a 2% deal, it must be a good deal. And, you know, we talk about these, these kind of rules of thumb, but at the end of the day, like there's so much more perspective that goes into a investment than just some number of how much rent comes in and how much you buy the property for. Because yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just because it's a four percent deal or whatever, you know, like amazing cash flow numbers you can get, doesn't mean it's going to be worth buying. You know, so I think yeah. that's, a, that's a great lesson. Do you still have that well, property today? I know we got rid of that thing. I, I basically, you know, I, I cut my teeth. I figured out all the lessons, did the wrong things wrong, and eventually had to evict one of the tenants and replace one of the other ones on more friendly terms. Basically, I got it stabilized. And then unloaded it as quickly as we could and got out of that area. So, did you, did you so, like make some money on it, or did you break even? According to the IRS, yeah, okay. I, I, paid some, <laughs> I, paid, I paid taxes on it somehow, but it feels like all I did was lose money on it. So I'm not sure how that shook out. But yeah. been there, man. Um, been yep. there. No, I mean, and, and you know, I know you guys are really anti-guru and boot camps, and, and I'm the same way. That I, I mean, I I invested over the course of a couple of years, you know, a few thousand dollars probably that I lost all, all total. Right? I mean, there were big hits that some of it got some of it back and whatnot. But, you know, the, the time and money and effort that I sunk into that deal taught me almost everything I know about how to be a good landlord and how to find good tenants in good areas. Yep. But I learned that by doing, you know, buying the wrong product in the wrong neighborhood and putting in the wrong tenants. So yeah. it was all well worth it. 
Yeah, I, I love Brandon's point. You know, it's really easy to stop and say, yeah, there's there's a lot of great deals out there. Well, and to, to take what you added, Ben, you, you don't have the temperament for it. Not yeah. every type of real estate works for every type of person. And I discovered the exact same thing because I started the exact same way as you did in the war, in the I'd say mine was closer to war zone, erring on the, the more on the side of, of a war zone, and and it was it was a nightmare, and that taught me so many things about what I didn't want and and what I was you know not willing to put up with, making those mistakes, and you know for some people it works great, but you know what it's not worth the money, not for me it wasn't. I don't I don't need the drama, I don't need the headaches, even if I have the best property manager in the world, I'm still going to be dealing with turnover. After turnover, you know, you, you're not going to get the quality of tenants in those areas. So screening is, you know, exceptionally difficult. You know, the, the time to turn around a unit, get it re-rented is considerably longer. And, you know, sure, when you get it rented, you, you can make a lot of money. But, you know, there's usually a lot more headaches that go along with it. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Well, and not to mention that not only are you going to turn over tenants and, and have, you know, longer vacancies, more repairs during those toner turnovers, but you're also probably going to turn over property management, right? You're either yeah. going to have a terrible property manager that's so bad they're the only ones willing to work there, or right. if you give that property or that tenant to a good property manager, they're going to turn you over. They're going to quit. So yep. any way you slice it, you're probably ending up with the headaches at the end of the day. So you know, by contrast, I mean, nowadays, most of our deals are, you know, you talked about the 4% rule. Now it's more like the 1% rule. Some of them are even more in the 08 0.9% rule, you know, so we're, we're now buying houses that in my market, there may be 150 to $200,000 rent for, you know, 1500, 1600 a month, give or take. And I mean, it's just a night and day difference, right? We've got a desirable product in a desirable area. We, we get probably the top 5% of the tenant pool out there. I think every tenant we have would qualify for the mortgage to buy the house that they're renting from us. You yeah, know, these yeah. are people that choose to rent, not ones that need to rent. And that's exactly who I want to rent my houses to. I love yeah, that. That's great. That's yeah. great. I feel like I've been doing the same thing as my investment shift. I started just like you did, just like Josh did, with just crappy little rentals because they were cheap and they were easy to buy. And again, I don't regret it necessarily because it made me who I am and it, Josh has made him who he is and you, yours made you who you are. But I don't want to stay there forever. I mean, you get to that point where you, you figure that out and then you figure out you don't want that. And, uh, you know, some people do make money in the war zones, but I feel like those well, yeah, are... I, I, I mean, know. that's that's another totally different tangent too, though, that that, that every strategy can work. Right. If you if yes. you meet somebody that says, "Hey, only my strategy," you know, this is the only way to make money in real estate. Yeah. Well, guess what? They're selling you something. Yep. Yes, <laughs> they are. There's, there's hundreds of strategies, and any of them can work. Yep. Right. Not all of them work for all people. Right. I mean, right. all three of us. It sounds like we probably don't really have the temperament for that that product or that tenant pool. But there are people out there that are buying those left and right, and they are cash flowing the heck out of it. Right. If they can yep. handle that, they're in the short term at least. They're going to make more money than I am. But it's, it's just not an investment that I want to have. Yeah. So every technique can work. Right on. All right, so what came next, Ben? You got that second deal, this uh, nightmare deal, and, and you said, ah, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to keep going. Or did, did you just, you know, did you come close to leaving? What was the mental state from this property? 
Yeah. I mean, it depended on the day. I mean, it was just a complete roller coaster ride. You know, I mean, one day it'd be, you know, when I, when I got the rent check, right, uh, a couple thousand dollars and I pay out my $400 mortgage payment, you know, those days was great. You know, I wanted to go buy 10 more. And then, you know, and then the phone rings an hour later and tenants, you know, screaming at me about something crazy and, you know, the roller coaster goes back down. So anyway, once that was uh, that property was kind of getting stabilized, we bought a couple more single families uh, again in the further western suburbs, the more more desirable areas in my market. And in those, you know, kind of learned a few more things. I bought some of the houses that were in they were in okay condition, you know, this maybe B minus C plus type of condition of the property, and we found the equivalent tenant. And so I was kind of just working my way up the ladder, and then by by deals five and six. You know, it was more like a B plus property and getting B plus A minus tenants. And, you know, after you manage each of those tenants for a year or two, you figure out pretty quickly which ones you want to deal with. Yep. So I actually ended up branching into Phoenix of all places, you know, so, so that makes a lot of sense, right? You, you learn <laughs> your market well enough to do two whole deals and <laughs> go completely across the country. But the timing was really the, the issue. So this would have been uh, about 2011. So while I'm stabilizing that first property, my parents call me up and say, hey, we're, we're buying a retirement home in Phoenix. We're going to snowbird down there. You know, and, and I said, well, what'd you buy? I said, oh, we're buying this three, three bedroom house for $50,000. I'm like, there's no way you're buying houses that cheap in a nice area. And they were just adamant that these things, these good deals were down there. So I get on a plane, I fly down to Phoenix and here are these, these houses in these cookie cutter neighborhoods that are, they're five years old. They're three bed, two bath, 1200 square feet, vaulted ceilings, like the epitome of the, the perfect bread and butter rental house. And these things are, they still look almost brand new and they're selling for $60,000. Now, in some people's market, that's an expensive house. For me, that's completely on fire sale, you know, and and even just comparable to their market, you know, a few years earlier, you couldn't buy the land for that kind of money. So we bought up just a couple of those houses. If I had the means, I probably would have bought a couple hundred. And one of those went from being, I bought it for 58,000 in 2011 and I sold it last year for 152. Whoa. And it was leveraged too. So it, not to brag, just, I mean, that's, that's the best deal we've ever done to date on a, you know, buy the rental and hold on to it. And it was, just, that was just a really, a really good coincidence, I guess. We got into the market right at the bottom and, you know, saw the quick pop and, you know, that's not going to happen every day, but it, it, it's only, it only happened because we were in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like well, that. Yeah, we talk, talk about that though. I mean, you know, there's, we've got tens of thousands of people listening to this show and, not to, not to make you nervous or anything. We're all listening to you intently. But being in the game, you went for years where you weren't in the game and you were struggling to get into the game, you know, which is a hell of a lot better than lots and lots of people who never even try, who just, you know, perseverate, you know, get nervous that they're not ready, that, that you know, let fear stop them. But what is so important about being in the game? You know, you made the, the first deal sounded okay, the second deal, eh. You know, then it got better and better. But talk about that a little bit. So if you're not buying property, then you're definitely not buying the perfect property. Right. So without I mean, without me buying that first property, I would have no idea what a good property was, what a good neighborhood was, what a good tenant was. Right. I had to I had to try and fail before I could figure out what success looked like. Right. Because you can read a book and, and hear most of the guys that write these books 
you know, they're going to tell you all their success stories, right? They wouldn't have started with that, that deal I mentioned. They would have gone straight to the Phoenix thing that made, you know, a thousand percent return and tell you how great they are. But the reality is somewhere before that, they made mistakes and they bought the wrong thing and they invested in the wrong places. You can't have one without the other. Right. If somebody says that, hey, I just went out in my first 10 deals, all 10 of them were slam dunks and they went perfectly. Either they're lying or I want to know, you know, where, where their crystal ball is. Yeah. Because the reality is you have to go out and make mistakes and fail and get back up again. And that's how you learn to find the right thing. I mean, yeah, I, I got lucky for sure. But what, what's the acronym for luck? It's laboring under correct knowledge. Yeah. Right. And so. I, I could see that there was opportunity in this market. I was really confident that Phoenix probably wasn't just going to close the doors and go off the map, right? That it was eventually <laughs> going to come back. Now, I wasn't looking for a particular time horizon. I wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to buy this house because it's going to double in value next year. It was, no, it cash flows today and it's going to come back to being worth, you know, $150,000, $200,000 at some point. I don't know when that point is, but I know it's going to happen, right? Because that Phoenix market isn't just going to give up and, and go away. So, you know, we bought something that cash flowed that we could then hold on to for as long as we needed until property values came back up to what they had the potential to be. Hey, Ben, um, let, me ar- let me argue that point against you just for fun. Please do. Um, I think the, the folks who bought a house in 1950, 1960 in Detroit said the same thing. <laughs> I, I knew you couldn't do a show without picking it's been up. A, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, but it just seems so fitting. But yeah, I mean, you know, you t- granted, listen, Detroit is is having a fantastic turnaround. You know, things are starting to move there, which is awesome. But you know, take one of the markets in the in the, the cities, the Rust Belt. You know, where where things aren't necessarily turning around. Um, what you did did was you did not buy for that appreciation. You bought for cash flow and said. It only makes sense that at some point it will appreciate. So, you know, you still won, but had you just bought, you know, a losing property and said, oh, well, someday it's going to turn around. Well, that, you know, the, the risk on that is considerably higher than where you were. Right. Yeah. It, it's actually uh, on, on the back of one of my cards that says buy for cash flow, but enjoy the appreciation. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, that deal, the, the real reason we bought that deal was we, it was a 10% down loan. So we put down 6,000 bucks and we cash flowed about 300 a month. So we were making well, well into a double digit cash on cash return from day one. And if that house never went up in value, if it was still worth $60,000 today, it would still be a good investment in my book. Yeah. I would still be happy I held it. So, I mean, I'm paying down on the mortgage, I'm getting the depreciation, and my cash on cash, right, my, my return just strictly off the cash flow is perfectly adequate for me. So the appreciation is just icing on the cake if you buy the right properties. Did those properties need any work as well? Were you doing any like forced depreciation or were they already just good to go? Yeah, those particular ones again. I mean, they were they were about five years old when I bought them. They looked like brand new. I I don't think we even cleaned the carpets. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and way to leave the mites, man. Way to leave the mites. <laughs> well, to go to to touch on what you just said, there's one thing I talk a lot about. I think it's in the book on rental property investing, and I read a million blog posts about this. Is the four wealth generators of real estate, which are cash flow appreciation, the tax benefits, and the loan getting paid down or amortization, as some people call it. And that's exactly what you're saying there. It's like even if you didn't get the appreciation. 
you still get the other three. And that's one thing I love about rental properties is that you get to capitalize on all four of them versus, you know, I like flipping too. I think flipping's fun, but when you're flipping, you don't get the tax benefits. You don't really get the loan getting paid down. You don't really get cash flow. All you get is what you get in appreciation, whether it's forced or natural. And again, it's just one of the reasons I love, I love rental properties. It's so forgiving because of that. Well, and you're so, you're so dependent, dependent on the market in that deal too. Right. I mean, if you uh, like in Chicago, it's very seasonal for us. So, you know, you, you go in and just look at, oh, my, my comps are $200,000 on the back end and I buy this thing for a hundred and I put 50 into it. But hey, I'm brand new to investing. I bought it in October 1st uh, and, and now I've got it on the market at Christmas time. Yep. Well, guess what? That $200,000 comp is now about $160,000 comp and, and nobody's looking in the first place. So yep. it yep. might appraise, but. Yep. So you've only got one strategy there, whereas, again, the rental properties, as long as they cash flow, I don't really care if it goes up or down in value. Uh, eventually, I know it's going to get there. But even if it, again, if it never appreciates, I'll pay the mortgage down to zero and make cash flow along the way. I love that. Now, just to add on one more thing that I like to do, and I think you like to do it too, is if you can buy these properties that need some work that you can put some equity into, then you even even though you're not banking on future appreciation, you can at least kind of bank on the forced appreciation that you buy a property for a discount because it needs work. You do the work, then you rent it out. Is that right? Is that kind of where your story leads to? Yeah, I feel like somebody might have coined a name for they, that. Somebody might have called that something. Oh, was there a setup there or anything? <laughs> Brr, it's kind of cold. Brr, it's cold in here. Oh. Yeah. So for those who don't know, that's yeah. So the, the that burr. You the, want to tell us what that is? The uh, the buy, rehab, rent, and refinance uh, model is hey, that's exactly what we're doing today. So early awesome. on, it was yeah, buying the houses that we do pretty minimal work to maybe remodel a bathroom here or there, change carpet, things like that. And we just over time we ramp that up to now most of our houses we'll put a forty to sixty thousand dollar gut rehab in. You know, we'll take it all the way down to the studs. And it, it looks literally better than new when we're done with it. You know, a house built in 1980, it, you know, it, it never had stainless steel and granite in it. So we're going to bring it back to better than new. And, and again, because of the, that product that we put out, we're able to get a really high quality of tenant. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So let's talk about like after, after Phoenix. How, where did you start buying again? What, what's the rest of your – let me ask you this. How many properties do you have total now at this point? We've got a couple dozen rentals. Okay. And we also do fix and flip. It's mostly the, the burr strategy, right? The fix and rent, if you want to call it that. Okay. So we do about 50-50. So my favorite technique is actually we'll rehab it and put it on the market both for sale and for rent. And if it's a property that, hey, you know, we'd kind of like another one to go in the rental portfolio or we're really liking this property, I'll just tip the scales a little bit. I'll drop the rent slightly, increase the sale price. You know, if somebody comes along that wants to offer me more than I think it's worth, I'll take the quick cash. And then, you know, if if we need an influx of cash for whatever reason, I might tip the scale the other way, right? Drop the price a little bit and, and move along. So it just anytime you can open up multiple exit strategies, it makes life so much easier and, and you know, lets you sleep at night because you know that you can get out of it one way or another if you need to or, or hold it if you want. Yeah. And what I also love about that is that when you go and rehab a house, especially when you're doing those big ones, 40 to 60 gut job, generally speaking, you don't have a lot of rehab co- I mean, repair costs or CapEx coming up in the next few years. So you can get these properties that, I mean, I, the one I did a year ago, we've never had a single, actually the last couple I've done that have been bird things, haven't had a single phone call, not a, not a single repair in like a year or two now. It's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our, our rule is anything that's got left in a, less than a 10 year lifespan left on it. We just replace it during the remodel. And yep. now, like you said, our CapEx is basically zero because 
we figure we'll probably hold those for five to 10 years. And, and by then, you know, by then we've moved on. Yep. Can you explain that for folks who don't know what you're talking about? What's, what's the CapEx and why does that matter? Sure. So in theory, anytime you buy a property, you should be setting aside some amount of money every month out of your cash flow to go towards capital expenditures. You know, if a water heater goes out, you know, in my area, it's a thousand bucks to replace one of those or your furnace or air conditioner, a couple grand, you know, your roof goes out, it's five to 10 grand, depending on the size of your house. So you don't want to get hit with those large one-time expenses without, without being prepared for it. So in theory, every month you should take a piece of your cash flow and just set it into an escrow account so that you've got that there for those big expenses. But again, by taking care of them on the front end, it's not that we completely eliminate it. Stuff still happens, but the likelihood goes way, way down and we're able to escrow. You know, I feel we need to escrow a lot less to yeah. cover those contingencies. And it's also important because when you're actually running the numbers and evaluating the deal itself, you know, your returns, yeah, you have to take into consideration your CapEx as part of the returns and whether you spend it in year one, year five, or year 15, you know, that's still going to affect, you know, if you amortize that over the, the life of the property, that, that's an expense. A lot of newbies don't do that and, and quickly find themselves in trouble. Oh, wait, I'm going to have to re- replace the roof in three years? Oh, yep. wait, I'm going to have to spend all this money? Yeah, you better plan for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but another thing for, I I know you guys have a lot of, a lot of newbies that listen to the show. We were all there at one point and something I've recommended to some of them, it's not a profitable strategy for me, but you know, there are those uh, various insurance companies out there that will insure, you know, your, your mechanicals, your plumbing and your electrical. And so, you know, if it's your very first deal and you say, well, gee, I don't have $10,000 to set aside. I barely scraped together the money to buy this thing. Well, go pay $50 a month to one of these warranty companies and and now you can sleep at night. I mean, again, it's not profitable in the long run, but you know, in the short term, if it's your first deal and that's your biggest worry is, oh my gosh, what if the AC unit breaks or you know the fridge explodes in the middle of the night? What am I going to do? Well, that's easy and, and relatively cheap peace of mind. Yep. Yeah, I, I do think the problem is for for a lot of people. Thank God there's bigger pockets, but that that isn't a worry, and it isn't a worry because they don't know it should be a worry. <laughs> Obviously, that's why we do this, and that's why we talk about these things so that it could be front and center for for people. Sure. So, Brandon, uh, you had something. I did. I'm just curious if you could go through like a typical bird deal for those people who are maybe having the hard time wrapping their head around what that means to buy rehab, rent, refinance, and maybe repeat it. What does that exactly look like in terms of real numbers? Sure. Yeah, I'll use the one that we just finished. Uh, the tenant just moved in on Sunday, actually. So we bought this. In fact, it was an MLS deal. I know those are pretty rare these days, but we got a good bargain. We bought it for $68,000. Where was that at? This was in the uh, western suburbs of Chicago. Okay. So, you know, lower middle class neighborhood. So bought it for sixty-eight. went a little over budget. We put about 55000 into it. Okay. Right? So $125,000, $130,000. It's worth about one hundred and fifty. So we don't have a ton of equity in there, right? I mean, this, this wasn't a flip, but that was, that wasn't really the intention of this one. So, but now that we've got that 125 ish into it, now we can go, you know, go to the bank and say, Hey, it's worth 150,000. Give us 70% of that and cash out almost all of our equity, maybe leaving, you know, five or $10,000 in it. But now that rented for 1595 a month. So. You know, after after the mortgage, you know, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and and maybe a little capex. You know, setting aside something for vacancies, maintenance, property management, all that good diligence stuff. You know, we're still we're still clearing, call it five hundred bucks a month on a ultimately a ten thousand dollar investment on the high end, 
right? Yep. So we're still, so what is that? $6,000 a year on a $10,000 investment. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty happy with that. We're relatively secured, right? I've got 30% equity. So even if there's a little market volatility, which I, I don't expect, but we're protected on the downside a little bit. And to me, that's a deal that I will just do that every single day of the week. Yep. Uh, it's safe. It's, it's as secure as you're going to get in an investment and it makes good money. And one, one more thing I love, I love about the strategy is that not only do you, you know, you have that it's worth 150, let's say, and let's say you are new mortgages, I don't know, 115, I don't know, whatever. You got this like this nice spread there. So if the market drops, of course, you're protected. But also, if the market goes up and up over time, which it should over time, uh, you know, real estate generally goes up over time. So let's say 20 years from now, but either way, it doesn't go up from the 68 number that you bought it for. It goes up from the 150 number that it's worth today, which means that you're, like that difference where your loan's getting paid down every month and the, the, the value is going up from that 150 mark. And so your, your just equity just grows. Your net worth grows so fast doing this thing. Right. Yeah. 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 If I, if I could do a hundred of those, you know, this year I could probably just kick back and relax, live off the cash flow and, you know, be a multimillionaire by the time these things <laughs> are off, So, so let's talk about that. Why can't you just do go to a hundred of them? I mean, like what's the downside of doing this strategy or what are the risks? I, I think one of the one of the challenges for for us and probably most people in my space is the long term financing. Yep. Finding you know first you start with the the Fannie Mae loans, right? You're, you're going to your your typical big banks and and get a loan, and that's pretty easy for one or two up to four. It starts getting a little tougher going from five to ten, and then after that, you know you have to go to a community bank or you go to you know one of these big lenders, a, a B two R or um, you know companies like that that. They're going to pay, you're going to pay higher rates. You're probably going to get a lower LTV, a uh, loan to value. So you can borrow less against the property. So it, you start to lose a little bit of economy of scale where you're having to put a little bit more into each house. You're making a little bit less return. So you can continue to scale, but you know, there's a limiting factor there. You do still need some capital. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. 
Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So what about short-term financing? What are you doing for the initial? When you buy the property, when you first do it, what, what do you do there? Sure. So I use a technique that people are kind of starting to hear a lot of. I use crowdfunding. Really? Uh, yeah. So I, in fact, I, I think that the day that you said on your podcast that nobody's ever been on using crowdfunding, that's when I decided <laughs> I better submit my request. So, that's awesome. Nice. So um, how, how does that work and what exactly are you using the crowdfunding for? Sure. So the way that crowdfunding works is, uh, I mean, this concept has been around for, for years and years, right? If anybody ever used Prosper or Lending Club, you know, back in 2005, I think they came around where everybody pools a little bit of money and is able to give a big loan. So that same concept, you know, fast forward 10 years and now they're using it in real estate. So this deal I just mentioned, right, where we bought it for 68000 we did this rehab. We borrowed most of that money from a platform that, you know, we submit the, the deal to underwriting. They make sure it's a legitimate deal that we're going to make some money. And then they send that out to their investors. They post it online and investors in their case can put in as little as $5,000 to buy into a piece of that deal. So I might have had, let's say, 20 investors that each put in 5000 bucks, and now I get a $100,000 loan. That's so cool. the actual platform, you know, they're, they're not really lending any money themselves. They're kind of working as a middleman. 
But by doing that, you know, some people use the phrase they're democratizing investing or borrowing. So it, it's they can be comparable or, or even a little cheaper than your local hard money lender. Um, and once you've just like a hard money lender, once you've done a few deals with them, it becomes a lot easier to get each deal funded. That's cool. That's cool. So do you mind sharing or do you, are you able to share what company you used or who you used? Uh, yeah, I don't mind at all. Uh, Realty shares. Okay. Uh, actually, actually one of your sponsors, um, it, there you it, go. It's funny. When, when I when I went full time, which was right at the beginning of 2014, uh, I called up the CEO of Realty Shares because he was still the guy answering the phone, and uh, they they had kind of just started. And I remember it would be me calling him and saying, "Hey, you know, I just put one, two, three Main Street under contract. Here's what I'm going to do to it. Here's what it's going to be worth." He would underwrite the deal and and send me over the loan. And, you know, fast forward two years, now they have 50 some people working there and, you know, it's this giant operation lending millions of dollars. So I'm really happy that it took off for them and it was just perfect timing for me. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I'm so really, how, I'm glad to have somebody on here who's done that. Cause, yeah, yeah, that's great. How, how fast are you generally getting that money? So you find, find a property, submit it to the platform. How quick is the turnaround in actually getting the cash? Yeah, typically from when I first send the deal to when we get to closing, about a week so usually the money can get there quicker than the seller is ready to bring us clean title. No, no, no I'm ta- I'm and maybe you meant this, but I'm saying you literally submit deal to platform. You get funded and you you the investors all put in and you get the cash within a week. Yes, sir. There wow. Wow. Yeah, fast. And, yeah, I feel well, like it and, used and, to be months like back in the day when they first started. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and a little nuance that a lot of people probably don't know is that once you've funded a few deals on, on these platforms, and, and I'm sure it's true of most of them, that they can start pre-funding deals. So, you know, again, my $100,000 loan, I bring it to them and they say, okay, this is the 20th deal we've done with this guy. We'll go ahead and lend the $100,000 so that we can keep it moving quickly and get him to closing. And then we'll go borrow the, the $100,000 from, you know, from the investors in the platform. So there's some of that going on that a lot of people aren't aware of. You know, on your first few deals, they don't want to take that risk. But, you know, after you've consistently performed, you know, that's what allows them to move so quickly and, and being able to offer up that product. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you, are you able to share kind of what typical interest rates and points are on those kind of deals? Yeah, it's pretty comparable to, you know, to your local heart money guy. So they're 10 to 12% and uh, two or three points. Okay. I know my first hard money guy was 10% and 10 points. That was a lot Ouch. of points. Yeah, like he was, uh, he was spendy. Glad I don't pay yeah. that anymore. <laughs> I, I'm really curious to see as, I mean, these platforms are just coming out of the woodworks. And, and for yeah. those of you that don't know, I think what just earlier this week, they, they opened up, I, I'm no expert on this stuff, but Title Three, I think it's called, right, where non-accredited investors can, can go on these platforms. So, yeah. you know, there's, these laws are changing, you know, almost every day and these platforms are, are popping up. So, you know, do your diligence. There's a lot of them out there. Not all of them are, are going to be sticking around forever, I have a feeling, but there's a lot more opportunity to go for that kind of non-conventional borrowing method. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's dozens of them and I definitively don't expect the vast majority of them to be around in, in a few years, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how letting grandma invest in, in deals uh, vets <laughs> out. But uh, yeah, and, cool. and, I, and I suppose in defense of realty shares, to my knowledge, they're still only doing accredited. Uh, so oh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not <laughs> talking about anyone in particular. But I, I, th- I think uh, Pandora's box might have just been opened. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there might be a reason that hasn't been allowed since 1933, <laughs> right? Yeah, there might be a reason. Uh, how long? How long a term is it, do you have then to pay them back? 
So we've done both six and 12 month terms. I prefer to go for the 12 month because again, with, you know, liking to do the burr strategy, I like having options where we can put the tenant in and sometimes we need to season the property for a little bit, you know, meaning keep the tenant in there and and show it cash flows before we can take it to the bank and get that, the cash out refi. Yeah. See, I know that most banks, it used to be six months. Now some of them are doing 12 and they want that seasoning period between when you buy a property and when you refinance it. And I've run into that problem before where I was told six months, I waited six months, applied for it, went through the whole process a week before closing. They're like, Oh, actually we just changed. Now we're 12 months. And so like when I do a bird, I actually like to go 14. I don't know if I, you know, not a lot of lenders like to do 14 months, but I like that because it gives me that two extra months just in case I have to go 12. Yeah. On, on that same note, that's any, any of my private lenders, you know, the, yep. the friends and family pool, that sort of thing. I, I do a 13 month note with all of them for the exact yep. same exact reason. Same. Yep. I, I can season it for a year and a day. And, and by, by then I've already got the refi going and can cash out before the note expires. Yep. That's yep. exactly right. And, and this, this lending that you're doing through the crowdfunding, you know, it works, you know, but if you're going to hold on to this and if you can't refi, you know, it, it doesn't work. I mean, where are you going to get the cash to pay it back? So, you know, for those people who are sitting listening, being like, oh, I'm going to use this for X, Y, and Z, you better, you better know what you're doing. You better be sure that you're going to be able to pay that, pay that out in six to 12 months. Uh, so you have to, you know, the, the type of financing that you use has to match the strategy and you better have backups, better make sure that you can handle it. So, um, absolutely, yeah. So cool. l- last question I have about the burr stuff and then we'll move on. Would you have any just, just final tips for people who are listening to this going, man, that sounds really cool. I want to burr a property. And what are your best tips for them to get started with that? Sure. So uh, whether, whether, whether it's crowdfunding or hard money, guys, to get the initial financing, you're going to have to have at least a couple deals under your belt. So you, you guys have talked about it tremendously on the show and, and, on, and on the website that, you know, start with friends and family, pull the money together. You know, there's so many creative strategies out there. So pull the money together, do your first couple of deals and then bring it to, you know, whether it's hard money or crowdfunding. So you can say, hey, here's my track record, right? I bought these couple of houses for X. I sold them for Y. I know what I'm doing. I know my market. And at that point, they'll be a lot more eager to lend to you. And then, you know, on, on the backside, exactly what Josh said, that you really have to know what your back end strategy is and have at least one backup that, okay, you know, I've already talked to my lender before I even went into this deal that my local, you know, XYZ bank is willing to give me a mortgage on this. I'm pre-qualified. So once I've bought it and fixed it up and rented it out, I know I can get financing from them. And hey, you know, if all else fails, you know, I've got a rich uncle that'll lend me the $100,000 or have some sort of backup plan, right? Exactly what Josh said. Cool. There you go. One of my last questions here is, where are you going? I mean, you you know, I I don't, I'm not going to ask you how much money you're making from your dozens of rentals, but... What's the goal? Are you going to get to some quote unquote freedom number, which we talked about in our Clayton Morris podcast? Or, you know, are, are you going to just keep going, you know, and do this for the rest of your life because you love it so much? Where, where are you going? Uh, great question. Uh, in the in the near term, in the next few years, yeah, we do have that freedom number, and we've been working towards the same freedom number for quite a while. Uh, my wife and I work very hard to you know keep the expenses low and grow the passive income, and you know to to get to that point where we don't need to do another deal if we don't want to. I, I do love doing it. I love fixing things up. I love making things better than new. So I probably will do this forever. The longer term strategy for me is probably to upgrade. Well, upgrade is maybe the wrong word, but move into multifamily. You know, and just uh, it's it, it's the the monopoly technique or you know the rich dad technique, right? You 
you, you, you sell your four greenhouses and go buy a hotel, you know, that, that stuck with me for years. So that's eventually where we want to get to is we we're buying these single families while the market is really good for it. While it's a really desirable rental product, you know, and at some point they'll appreciate and we'll, we'll sell them. We'll go buy multifamily. And uh, at that point, you probably, you know, you have me on the show again in 10 years and I'll, now I'll be doing the exact same thing, right? With these small multifamily and building them up and, and going to buy the hundred unit apartments or nice. commercial space or, you know, for me, it's just a, it's a never-ending game that I enjoy a lot, and I I, I can't imagine ever leaving it. Perfect. Yeah, that's cool. Perfect. And and to on that point, like the whole Burr strategy, really, all it is is what apartment investors have been doing forever. I mean, that's what a lot of apartment guys will do. They'll buy properties, fix them up, refinance them to get the money back out from their investors, and then they hold on to them or they'll sell them five years later. And it's just it's the exact same concept. You could do it from a single-family house all the way up to a thousand-unit apartment complex and everything in between. Yeah, we, we didn't even talk about it, but I, I just did that with a six unit. It was my oh, first, you know, uh, small commercial deal. The same thing we bought, it was vacant. It was very dated. Nobody touched it since the seventies. So, you know, we got a good price on it because it was vacant. We rehabbed all the units and tenant to, you know, put in tenants as soon as they were ready to, to hit the market. And what that final tenant just moved in last week and we're already in the refi process. So yeah, it's, it's the exact same technique just with a little bigger numbers. And that's, and that's why I say, I mean, this game is just never ending. You can do it at the $20,000 house level, the $200,000 house, the $200 million apartment complex. You know, it's, it's just a matter of what level you're at at the game and where you want to get to. There you go. I love it. All right, last question before we get to the fire round. I want to know about your quitting your job. You said that you were, you know, doing medical sales for a long time, and then you quit your job. Was that just off the cash flow and the flips, or how did that come about? Sure. So it was a little bit of the the, the cash flow from the rentals were helping support it. Um, you know, it was an incredibly stressful job. I mean, I, I was in brain surgery three four days a week, dealing with. Uh, life and death situations, you know, on call 24 seven. So, oh. you know, incredibly stressful job. And I, I kind of traded one stressful job for another some days, <laughs> but no, I mean, real estate is where my passion was. I knew that's where I wanted to be long-term. So I figured I, I, it made sense to, to jump in with both feet and run with it. So, you know, that's why we still do some of the fix and flip, you know, basically uh, covers the bills while we build up the portfolio to get, you know, to get to that freedom number. Very cool. Awesome. 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 Cool. Well, let's transition this thing, shift gears, and head over to the world-famous Fire Round. Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. Now, let's get to the Fire Round. Question number one. Oh, by the way, these questions come from the Bigger Pockets forums. In case you are not a regular listener of our show, you can go on to the Bigger Pockets forums and ask questions from people that are far smarter and far better looking than Josh Dorkin. So... Biggerpockets.com slash forums. All right. Oh, question number one. On. Really? <laughs> question number one. Not cool, dude. Not cool. Question number one. When doing a burr deal, does it make much of a difference what bank a person goes to to get the refinance? Or do all banks pretty much do the same thing? Uh, it really depends on how many deals you've done. If you're talking about your first deal, they're all going to be almost exactly the same. The, the rate might be slightly different. But if you're doing you know, uh, up, to, up to deal number four, any bank is probably going to give you the exact same terms. Awesome. Cool. All right. Uh, question number two, using the Burr strategy, if you were to go and refi, let's say with a portfolio lender, what type of loan is it? Is it a mortgage or a commercial loan? 
Uh, so generally, if you're going with a portfolio lender, you're getting a commercial loan. That means you're probably getting worse terms all the way around. You're probably getting a, a shorter amortization, right? They're spreading your payment over a shorter period of time, which effectively means you'll pay the loan off quicker, which is great news, but your payment's going to be higher. Your cash flow is going to be less. You're also most likely going to have a balloon payment anywhere from five to 10 years, meaning that after, you know, let's say it's a five-year balloon at that point, in theory, you may have to pay that entire mortgage off all at once. So, uh, and then you're probably going to pay a higher interest rate than going to your local bank. So they can, they're the right tool in some situations. And, and if you've already used up your local banks or um, your conventional financing, it may be the only way to go, but just be aware that it's probably not going to be as cheap of a loan to get. Yep. Nice. Cool. All right. Number uh, three, when someone is doing a fix and flip, what are the options I have if it doesn't sell? Yeah, great question. So, and, and I would encourage everybody to always go in with at least two exit strategies. So, I mean, as, as you've heard, clearly I like the strategy of putting it on the market both for sale and for rent. Mm -hmm. That way, if I find a good tenant, I'll go ahead and hold on to it and rent it out to them. If I get a good offer on the sale price, I'll sell it. You know, you could also go the lease to own route. You might be able to sell or finance if you have the means to, to carry the property for a little bit. You know, there's a lot of different techniques. It's, it's good to have at least two going in or else it's kind of a dangerous proposition. Yep. I like it. Right All right. Last question. If you have a rental in a different state, do you need to hire a property manager? Is that what you're doing with your properties down in Phoenix? Uh, yes and no. So I've, I've got the properties in Phoenix that I do use a, a local professional property manager for. It's far enough away that I kind of feel the need to do that. I also have that, that rental that I bought in Iowa, uh, you know, back in college. I still hold that today. So I've managed that myself for the last 10 years. And it's all about putting in the right people and, and putting some terms in your lease. You know, putting in that, that they're responsible for repairs up to X number of dollars or that you'll reimburse them, you know, if they need to go change a light bulb, you'll give them the, the dollar back if they take care of that themselves. So you absolutely can manage from afar, um, but just know that you, you could get caught in a situation where they may not be caring for the property in the way that you expect if you can't go at least drive by it once in a while. Right on. Cool. All right. Let's close this thing up with the world famous. Famous for. All right, the famous four. These questions are asked of every guest every week. And I know you listen to the show, so you know what's coming. Number one, what is your favorite real estate-related book? So I, I really struggled prepping for the famous four because I'm the librarian of my local RIA. Nice. And I, I love to read. I'm responsible for hundreds of books on real estate. I mean, narrowing it down was really tough for me. And I want, really wanted an original answer for you too. So first, let me give a quick shout out, an additional vote for Investing in Real Estate by Gary Eldred. Okay. Um, I think that's a great you know in-depth book. Yep. But I gave it a lot of thought and I, I came up with the book on rental property investing by Brandon oh, Turner. Wow. And not, not <laughs> just to kiss up. Wow. I, I picked that book. I actually just read it a couple weeks ago. And I think that for newbies, it, it, did a, uh, it did a great job of covering all the bases and giving really updated information on, you know, the options available to people. You know, so many of these books that came out in, you know, 2007 that, you know, talk about, oh, just go get a no-doc loan for 110% financing. You know, that's kind of useless these days. So I appreciated it. It was real and it, and it covered you know, most of the realistic options for new people. So I think it's a good place to start. Thank you. Nice. That's my new nice. favorite guest right here. I, I was going to say, you know, that you are the first person to I think you might be the first person to say it. One of the books. So I, I love that. That's, that's great. Yeah, eat, eat that, Robert Kiyosaki. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favorite business book. 
Uh, so again, in, in an attempt to come up with a fresh one, I mean, clearly we got to give Kiyosaki credit, right? Rich dad, poor dad, cash flow quadrant. If this is your first time listening to the show or, or just getting into real estate, you have to go read those books. But uh, so for my original one, I picked Eat That Frog Ooh, by Brian Tracy. Great book. Um, yeah. So great book on productivity and efficiency and, uh, you know, getting not just getting things done, but getting the right things done. Yeah. I'm That's one of those books I feel like I could, I should reread every year because Eat That Frog has so many tips in there. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah love absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right right I just finished, cool. by the way, I just finished Cash Flow Quadrant for uh, the second time. So, because I read it when I was younger, but I just reread it and it's still just as amazing as it was the first time. So, yeah, it's, it's hell. I mean, every time you reread these great books, your, your mind's in a different place and you yep. take different info from it. So, yep. yeah, I, I reread that stuff on uh, at least once a year. I'll do Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yep, me too. So, yeah, I love perfect. it. Cool. Perfect, perfect. All right. What do you do for fun? So I have a wife and kids. I've got two under two. Well, I guess I can't say it anymore. My son just turned two while I was down here in Miami for a conference. So spending time with the kids and the wife. Uh, we like to go out to the cabin, water ski. I like to go downhill skiing in the in the winter when I can. And nice. take my motorcycle to the racetrack once in a while. That cool. sounds fun. Good, good, good. Cool. All right, my final uh-huh. question of the day. What sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think the key is to take action every day and, and persevere. You know, one of my favorite quotes is that everybody gets knocked down, winners get back up, and top winners get back up quicker. Um, you know, we're all going to have our ups and downs, but if, if every day, it, it, it's easy to take action and move forward when you're in a great mood, right? Everything's going your way, but on the day that you just got knocked down, that's the most critical day to get up and just do something, anything that moves you in the direction of your goals. And I mean, it's going to, it's going to bring you up, it's going to increase your optimism. And, you know, I mean, it's going to make you feel better in the short term, but it's also going to move you so much faster towards where you want to be in life. Cool. That's great. Right That's great. Well, well, let's close this out with where can people find out more about you? Where can they look you up? Sure. I'm happy to chat with people on Bigger Pockets, of course. I'm also on LinkedIn quite a bit. I mean, they can also go to my website at goapexrenovations.com. Perfect. Cool. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. And lots of luck to you going forward, building up that portfolio. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. Take it easy. All right, guys, that was Ben Wallhood. Ben, thank you so much again for coming on. We do appreciate it. A lot of fun, man. I know you were excited to have somebody who focuses on burr. Burr, yeah. I like like talking about the strategy because it is my favorite thing to do. I mean, almost everything I've done in one way has been... A bur- I mean, pretty much everything I've ever done, other than my flips, have all been burrs. So it's fun to talk about. Uh, but just to, to throw this out there, I mean, we talked about this in the show, but I'll say it again. Burr is very exciting, but there are some risks and downsides. I mean, especially if you can't get the, if you get a short-term loan to buy a property and then you can't refinance it, you can get kind of stuck. And yep. so, of course, that's why you need to buy such a good deal that you get those options. You can sell it if you need to. You could, you know, hopefully refinance it. Maybe you could find another short-term loan. By getting the best deal possible, that really makes that important. Uh, also, knowing up front, do you have the ability to get a long-term loan? I mean, what's your credit look like? What's your income look like and your debt-to-income ratio and all those things? So make sure you guys look into that stuff also before you just go out and buy a property because you heard on a podcast it was a good idea. Exactly. In fact, you should... Think about anything that you hear on a podcast, yeah. <laughs> see on a website, read or hear from a guru. Yep. And before you do it, you should make sure that that is actually a good thing for you to be doing. Be smart. Don't just take our word for it. Go, ahead, go out there and do your homework. So with and, that, I was going to say, and uh, he mentioned my book. I'm touched. Oh, he did. I know. He Which did. people can get, I don't think I mentioned this, at biggerpockets.com slash rental book. 
And uh, if you have read it and you want to do me a solid, I could use some Amazon reviews for that. We could use some Amazon reviews for that. Indeed. I think we're at like 100 and something, 120, 30, somewhere in there. But I got to sure. beat Jay Scott. Come on. Oh, <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. All right, let's get out of here. Guys, thank you again. This is show 177 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 177. And uh, otherwise, hopefully we'll see you over on Bigger Pockets where you can connect and link up with guys like Ben, chat with him, ask him questions, you know, just learn, make deals, do business, you name it. So get on the site, set up a free account today at www.biggerpockets.com. And until next time, I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.